Hey, I'm Jazz, the founder of Let's Sleep, and over the last few years, I've helped hundreds of parents go from tired, overwhelmed, and all-consumed about their baby's sleep to well-rested and totally confident. With a career in midwifery, maternal and child health nursing, and now infant and child sleep consulting, I'm bringing you all my words of wisdom to this podcast. The Let's Sleep podcast is for parents wanting to be totally empowered navigating their little one's sleep from birth to five years of age. Honest and educational conversations to give you the tools you need to make sleep easy. Let's do this. This episode is the second in a perinatal mental health mini series with Louisa from Mama Psychology. The first episode that we uh, that we released was all on perinatal anxiety and how to balance our needs, both our own needs and our baby's needs. I really enjoyed the first chat with Louisa and the second chat was no different. I learned so much. There were so many takeaway messages and I know that this episode is really going to help parents out there in their parenting journey. So in episode two of this mini series, we are talking about how to how to approach judgment that you might receive as a parent. And the second part is going to be all about how to work as a team when you're a parent. So how to work alongside your partner or support person to to really navigate parenting and create some balance and and all of the things that come along with that. So I really hope you enjoy the episode today. Let's jump in. Welcome to the podcast, Louise. I'm so excited for the second episode in our perinatal mental health mini series. That is a mouthful. Yeah. <laughs> um, we got some really lovely feedback from the first episode in our mini series. And I think just so many of the topics that we're going to be talking about in you know in previous episodes and future episodes just will land with so many parents and I know the topics have landed so much with me already so thank you for making some time again to be here no worries (laughs) I know you're busy busy mumming and working and and all that good stuff um so today's topic we are talking about two topics similarly to what we did with the first episode and we're talking about judgment when you're a parent so just the judgment that comes up and those feelings that come along with that and then the Mm -hmm. second part of this episode is how we can work as a team like a parenting team Mm -hmm. so I'm really excited to dive in firstly just for anyone that didn't listen to the first episode uh, with you can you tell us a bit about yourself and who's in your family and a bit about your background as well Yeah, absolutely. So um, I'm Louisa. I am a mum of two small boys, one starting prep in a few weeks. So that's a really exciting thing happening in our house and a very cheeky little almost one-year-old. And I'm a perinatal psychologist. So I work mostly with women who are in the postpartum period or who are pregnant and in supporting them with all all kinds of different things um, that happen, happen in that postpartum period. Yeah, which is, it's a lot, isn't it? There's so much that comes up and that we can experience during pregnancy and postnatally. So yeah, you're doing incredible work to support families. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to dive right in. Mm-hmm. So part one, as, as I said, we're talking about judgment when you're a parent and the things that come along with that and all of these questions for everyone listening these are questions that have been popped in um, over at the let's sleep um, instagram page i've put up a story asking what what people would like us to talk about um, in these episodes with louisa and these are these are all from those questions so thank you so much for submitting them now the first one that uh, that we're covering in this section is what are some strategies to deal with judgment from others about the choices that you make as a parent? And that could be choices around sleep, around how you manage your little one's behavior, your parenting styles, all of the things. 
Mm-hmm. What what do you have to say on that, Louisa? I know mm-hmm. this is a big topic. Yeah, it's a huge topic. And it's one that can be a little divisive because there are so many different parenting styles and so many different ways that we navigate sleep. And it's just been ripe territory for lots of disagreements between women in particular. Um, And it's been really messy. And it's something that I'm really passionate about helping women navigate and to tease out and to, to work out how to manage all the conflicting information and find confidence and find a, a way through all of that. Um, so I think it's not really enough to say don't worry or just don't worry about other people's opinions um, because uh, we're hardwired for connection and we just can't help but be impacted by what other people are thinking and by their mood and by maybe even the look that they give us when we have a certain approach. Sometimes things just stick even more when we're in those early months postpartum or in the first year of motherhood because we're in a more vulnerable life stage and Mm. we hang on more to what people say because we feel more unsure about ourselves especially when it's a brand new stage of your life you know especially uh being a first-time parent myself and you've we've never done this before this is our first time it's new territory for us and we, we it's just completely new so yeah. when you get those comments about whatever it is whether it's from a loved one or from someone you don't know or someone in a Facebook group that has made a comment about a question you've asked or whatever it is you're still finding your feet and you know yeah. I think sometimes those feelings of that come along with judgment never mm-hmm. really go away but I think mm-hmm. you know potentially the more children you have or the longer mm-hmm. into your parenting journey the more grounded and confident you feel Mm -hmm. in the decisions that you make do you think that's that's right I think that's absolutely the case you definitely do a lot more trial and error and kind of find the the ways of parenting that work with your family Mm -hmm. but in those very early years I think the expectation on ourselves to have it figured out can be really high but also other family members have an expectation on us that we'll know what to do with sleep or they look to us as soon as the baby is born and go, what do we do? Like they're not sleeping or how do, you know, what's their routine like? And yeah, um, we're expected to have an expertise that we don't have um, yeah. straight away. Well, we're just figuring it out, aren't we? And absolutely. And every child is going to be different. So even your first compared to your second, like I, I'm not a parent yeah. of two. So yeah, I'm sure that if we had another above that, that baby would be completely different to, to, to Hazel and have a different nature and different sleep needs. And, yeah. and also we would probably parent in a slightly different way or, you know, make adaptations to the ways that we've done things the first time around. Um, so yeah. What do you think, what do you think are some strategies that we could use if we get comments that we mm-hmm. feel a bit hurt by, or we feel judged? Yeah. What so I think, yeah, the first thing to do to protect ourselves is to know that there's some room to take your pressure, take pressure off yourself, that mm. it's okay not to know everything about parenting or about sleep. It's okay to change your mind. It's okay to fail. It's okay to make mistakes. Um, and I was talking to a friend about her breastfeeding journey and she said to me, it wasn't the way that I wanted it, but I felt confident that it was the best that I could do. I think we love our kids so much. We're desperate to do it right and to do it perfectly, but this is impossible. And like you said, we really need to grow into it and Mm -hmm. we need to grow in our confidence that we can do it in the way that works best for our family. But it just takes time and it's trial and error and there's research involved and lots of talking to other mothers. So give yourself that room and that space. And if you are worried about uh, some area that you feel sensitive about, whether it's breastfeeding or something that you're not sure how to navigate, pre-plan an answer Mm. for when people say something specifically, oh, you're not breastfeeding, pre-plan what you're going to say so Mm. that you're sort of armed with something in that situation and that you have something ready Mm. for when that crops up. Yeah, definitely. Because I think especially in social settings, if there's quite a few people around when the comment's made, and I know, you know, this is sort of a, a, a subtopic, but, you know, when you get questions, oh, when are you having your second or are you having your second baby soon and all those kind of things. Yeah. Um, and, you know, 
sometimes we just don't always want to answer the questions. So I think sometimes having, um, as you said, having a pre-prepared answer that that you don't you don't need to feel like you need to answer their question with um, a logical response or yeah. justify your decisions. Mm-hmm. But sorry, it's a big bang outside. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Probably a door falling over or some yeah. other building equipment. <laughs> Um, I was just explaining before we started that we're muted Brenos. So there's uh, there's a bit going on at our house at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that's something I've learned. We don't always need to feel that we need to justify or explain why mm-hmm. we've done something a certain way. And it's okay to answer in a way that, you know, that just kind of stops the conversation there or shows mm-hmm. that, you know, I, I don't actually feel comfortable discussing this. Yeah. It's just finding a way to phrase it that you feel yeah. comfortable with, you and know, and you, you may not want to offend anyone either, especially if it's a loved mm-hmm. one. Yeah. Um, and yeah. if you are experiencing vulnerability, some postpartum mental health issues or breastfeeding difficulties, or you've had a difficult birth, you, you might want to pre-work out who you want to talk to about that and who you yeah. don't want to talk to about that. So yeah. if you've had a difficult birth, you could say, or a difficult postpartum period, you could just say, oh, it's been a roller coaster mm. and, just, and not give any more. You, yeah. you don't, yeah, like you said, you don't owe information to anyone. Exactly. Yeah. I like, I really like that. Just knowing that, yeah, you don't have to, you don't have to justify anything to anyone about the decisions you make as a parent. Um, and I, you know, a lot of families I work with that, you know, that book in for sleep support with me and want to make changes to what they're doing. You know, they might get comments from friends or family that question what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, they might even get questions from other health professionals, you know, like a maternal and child health nurse or mm-hmm. whoever it is. And if, if you feel that it's the best decision for your family, then, mm-hmm. then that's, that, that's the most important thing. At the end of the mm-hmm. day, people are always going to talk and make comments um yeah but yeah and I think particularly if it is around a sensitive topic that you're feeling vulnerable about you know sometimes if you're asked in that social setting it can almost sometimes make you feel quite emotional you know it can Mm -hmm. really bring up something that you just didn't anticipate talking about in that setting yeah so I really like that having just a response to kind of shut that down you know and, and move or just move on like a segue to a different topic yeah Um, and I guess be wary that there could be microaggressions in the mix too like mm -hmm. oh you're parenting like that oh oh, you're gonna do sleep like that yeah yeah definitely and I think especially moving into the toddler years where where I'm at now and and you you, you've been through it as well Mm -hmm. you know knowing that when your child has a tantrum or some kind of outburst in a public setting like that's that's okay you know they're 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 just trying to figure out how to navigate things. And um, it's, you know, they are going to have outbursts in public and you don't need to feel um, shame and, you know, you're not doing a bad job because your child has a tantrum in public. Um, I think I've really had to remind myself of that a couple of times um, and that it's okay. You know, you're doing a great job. And if people make comments, Mm -hmm. you know, you, you can't really stop them. Yeah. Um, but you know, just staying anchored into mm-hmm. that, you know, your your parenting journey and, and the decisions mm-hmm. you make. Yeah, all you can do in that situation is protect your child's dignity, get them out of there as fast as you can and say to yourself, This is developmentally appropriate. This is developmentally appropriate. Yes, yes, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> They're meant to do this. They're meant yes. to do this. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the second question that came mm-hmm. through. Um, I commonly hear parents saying that they compare their child or parenting with other people's experiences. Um, so for example, if someone's baby is sleeping through the night and your baby is waking every two hours, so Mm -hmm. that sort of comparisonitis, Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, how would you, how would you recommend kind of tackling that and, you know, the judge, the internal judgment that comes yeah. from that? I think with the sleep comparison, there might be a couple of things going on there. I think the sleep comparison is driven by anxiety around sleep and the need mm-hmm. to check in and see how your baby's going. I think it's a, it's about an underlying fear, a terrified fear that, 
you're going to have the baby that doesn't sleep. Mm. And we feel a drive to check in that we've got one of those okay babies. And whenever sleep gets a little tricky, sometimes the conversation around sleep ramps up. Mm. I'm definitely guilty of having this conversation with mum friends all the time. And I've definitely had both experiences, one who slept beautifully and another one who was one of those tricky sleep babies. Mm. And it's, it's a bit of a minefield either way. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, you know, knowing that, yeah, all all children are different and there is no, there is no perfect in parenting. And it it is like, it's so cliche to say, but it is a journey and like, there's lots of ups and downs and you are going to come across challenges and, you know, every baby, every baby is going to have some sleep challenges at some point, whether mm-hmm. it's through periods of illness or teething or when they learn to get out of their cot or whatever the thing is. Yeah. Um, and, and that's okay. Um, yeah. That it's such a big thing that the comparing and that's, it's not just with sleep, it, it can be with development and, yeah. You know, you know, even comparing yeah. your readiness to return to work and your feelings around that. There's yeah. so much that goes along with it. I, I thought about the the comparison around my baby's crawling and my baby's talking. And when you peel back that layer, I think that's also anxiety driven. Like mm. I think it's the fear that there's something going on with our child's development that's not typical. Yeah. It's maybe the fear of disability or illness or autism, neurodiversity. Mm, I think we have this underlying fear that our baby is going to be a little outside of the norm yeah yeah absolutely I've had um had a couple of this comes up quite a lot and especially in the last year I've had quite a lot of conversations with parents um particularly with bubs around four to six months old with this expectation that their baby um should be able to sleep through the night without a feed Mm-hmm. and that that's something that you know they're sort of seeking that someone to help them achieve that and I've had you know quite a few conversations like especially you know this year already I've already had conversations about it and I think you know some babies will sleep through the night really young and that's that's awesome but it's the minority mm-hmm. um, and I really wanted to bring that up because I talk so much about realistic expectations for feeding mm-hmm. for your baby overnight and uh, it's very normal for some you know for majority of babies to need one or two night feeds right through until you know sometimes up to 12 months and mm-hmm. some beyond that as well uh, and it really comes down to what you're happy to do as a parent as well if you're happy feeding your bub um, you know a, a feed a night beyond when they turn one that is mm-hmm. fine um, but I think having those those high standards or just unrealistic yeah. standards sometimes yeah. whether it's sleep or feeding or development and striving for something that um that just isn't realistic Mm -hmm. Um, we don't want to spend our parenting journey you know focusing on that that micro Mm -hmm. detail that just probably isn't going to happen Mm -hmm. um so a lot of those conversations I have are are really just normalizing that it's Mm -hmm. that's not a particularly realistic goal Mm -hmm. um in in those those early days Mm -hmm. Mm. and possibly what's driving some of that pressure and anxiety is just that we want certainty we want certainty that our babies are going to sleep we want certainty that they're going to develop without disability and illness Mm. we want certainty that I guess things are going to turn out fine and on some level it's it's learning to sit with that uncertainty and that Mm. sense of not knowing when it's going to happen or when our babies are going to sleep in a in a way that feels better for our for our lifestyle yeah definitely and of course you know we'd all love to sleep through the night without having to get up to feed to feed a baby but yeah uh yeah they they wake up for feeds you know in that first particularly the first eight months nine months it's very normal for your baby to need potentially a couple of feeds um so yeah I just really wanted to bring bring that up Mm -hmm. because I think you know, the parents that have had those conversations with me have have that belief because of things they've read. And that's, you know, just like you said, there's so much conflicting advice out there that people read. And 
you know, anchoring into that one piece of advice and trying to achieve that when it's not realistic. It's just, mm. um, yeah, I would, it's just um, not not something you want to spend that that first six to 12 months of your parenting journey focusing on. No, and if we can sit with uncertainty, I think the comparison is going to naturally just fall away. Yes, yeah, absolutely. I think, I can't remember if I brought it up in the last episode with you um, about how I had some um, anxiety around approaching four months of age Mm -hmm. and it was that fear of what might happen with Mm -hmm. Hazel's sleep. And I think that Mm -hmm. comes down to my personality. I like, I'm I'm a planner. I like to know what's coming um, bit of perfectionism and, you know, even though I was equipped with the tools to kind of navigate sleep, mm-hmm. it really helped me working with a psychologist and talking through that catastrophizing and mm. where the feelings were coming from and mm-hmm. sitting with mm-hmm. being okay with sitting with some discomfort and knowing yeah. that things aren't going to be perfect all the time. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really helped me in how I support families to normalize those harder times or those mm-hmm. more challenging times and mm-hmm. not painting this picture that things are going to be perfect all the time with sleep once mm-hmm. you do sleep training in inverted commas or sleep support because it's just yeah. not that's not realistic the four um, month uh, the four month thing is is a bit scary though as well because lots of mums are telling each other oh you just wait for it's four coming months. yeah, <laughs> yeah. And it, it is like yeah. a lot of them do show some classic, you know, um, yeah. some classic changes to their sleep. But as I as I talk about all the time, it's not actually the sleep that it stems from. It's a normal mm. like biological process. change. It's, yeah, it's a developmental yeah. change at yeah. around four months. It's not yeah. like they yeah. wake up when they're four months old and yeah. go through it. Yeah. Sometimes it can be as early as 10 weeks yeah. or all the way through to five yeah. months, but it's just their sleep cycles maturing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I can I can report that I experienced pretty tough sleep times both times with my babies at around that time. Yeah, and it it didn't last forever, thankfully, and we got through it. And yeah. you know, I think if if I can encourage parents with anything, it's that it doesn't go on forever. It does yeah. does last a few weeks or a few months at at best. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So yeah, anyway, we've gone on a, f- a bit of a tangent, but as, as we seem to do, I love it. Um, so the next question is how can this, uh, I'll just backtrack a little bit. So mm-hmm. it, with the, with the comparisonitis and looking at other mums or other parents that seem to have it all all together, if we're comparing ourselves to that and striving for this standard of what we think parenting should be, Mm -hmm. how can this negatively impact us? And what strategies do you have for parents that are feeling this way um, and Mm -hmm. potentially feeling quite anxious that they, they just, they don't have it sorted or they're, they're doing Mm -hmm. something wrong in their parenting journey. Mm -hmm. Okay, I think this is a slightly different kettle of fish Mm. to the last one, last question. And I think I owe a lot to Sophie, Dr. Sophie Brock, who's really expanded my understanding of what the perfect mother is, Mm. perfect mother myth is, and how that influences all of us as we step into motherhood. Mm. And it's really ingrained in us as Western women. And it's this idea, this ideal that we've been socialized to live up to. And it's the mother who has had a perfect birth, who finds motherhood really natural, who loves mothering all the time, who balances work and mothering beautifully, who's very organized and cooks nutritious meals and never complains. And it's like the it's like the 1960s housewife, but turbocharged because now she's also juggling careers and pandemics and homeschooling and extracurriculars and this enormous mental load she's like the ceo of this household which is just so full and so i like that the ceo of the household (laughs) yeah and she's this boss mom who's just got it all sewn up and figured out and looks gorgeous doing it it sounds exhausting just hearing (laughs) that description of the ceo mother (laughs) so it's this impossible ideal and it's one that's so ingrained in us that it's hard to recognize Mm. And I think the only sign that we 
can know that we uh, have internalized some of this perfect mother myth is guilt. Mm. So when you feel guilt, you should ask yourself, is is part of this guilt, is this telling, is this a story about the idealized mother that I've swallowed? Mm. Is it some expectation that's sky high that I can't possibly meet and fulfill that's mm. making me feel guilty right now? Yeah. I think so much of the feelings that parents would have would stem from that. And and that's mothers, fathers, whoever, you know, whichever parent it's, we, we just want to do the best we can. As you said, we just want to mm-hmm. be the perfect parent. And mm-hmm. we're often just striving for this, this perfect standard. We feel like we should have it all balanced all the time. And, mm-hmm. you know, two and a half years into my mm-hmm. parenting journey and, you know, I, I have really lowered the expectations on myself. I think I set them quite high in the beginning and I know a lot of my clients do. Mm -hmm. And I think I've got okay with laundry piling up sometimes and, Mm -hmm. you know, the house not being as clean as I Mm -hmm. would love it to be. And sometimes the fridge is empty like it is right now. Mm -hmm. And we don't always have this streamlined households that we may have had prior to having kids Mm. and I don't I don't think it's necessarily always possible to have Mm -hmm. it all together all the time Mm -hmm. and I don't think it's healthy to strive for that Mm -hmm. um you know sometimes when you know I love to exercise for example and go running but sometimes you know there's other priorities that Mm -hmm. overcome that and I might not run for a week or two and then Mm -hmm. I pick back the running up again when when those other things kind of reduce down again. Mm-hmm. It's like a bit of a seesaw, I think, of, you know, sometimes things need more attention and, yeah. and then you kind of, the, the seesaw can drop again and you can pick something yeah. else up. It's how yeah. I picture it anyway. I've got, a, I've got another analogy that's similar, but it's a really nice vi- visualisation that I really love. And it's this, it's imagining everything that you're holding as glass balls and plastic balls. Yeah. And when there's so much juggle happening, you have to work out which balls are glass that you have to keep juggling in the air and yes. which ones are plastic and which ones you can let drop to the ground. Yeah. And, so the, laundry, and you can just pick them back up later. Yeah. Laundry. It's like, <laughs> Is laundry glass or plastic? <laughs> it's like definitely it's plastic. sort of glass and sort of plastic. <laughs> like if you if you left it for two weeks, it would definitely be a glass ball. <laughs> uh, paying your car, Reggio. Mm, yeah. Probably glass. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I yeah. think that's that's such a good analogy. And just thinking about like what is really important in that moment if you are feeling overwhelmed or mm. you know, like you just you, you can't mm. hold everything physically that mm. is going on in your life. Like what mm. is really important? And is that, you know, sitting on the floor with your child and just having connection and leaving the dishes? Um, mm-hmm. is it is it um buying some takeaway because you mm-hmm. just don't have the capacity to go and do a, a supermarket shop. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, like I said, as, as your time goes on in your parenting journey, mm-hmm. I know for me anyway, I never yeah. thought those things would get easier, but they have. Yeah. Um, and my house might look like a bit of a mess when you come over, but <laughs> I'm okay with that. Yeah. And <laughs> particularly I, at the moment like, <laughs> with red part, and stuff. <laughs> part of it's like the physical balls that we drop. But I think there's also a huge relief in dropping our expectations and high pressure and guilt and perfectionistic standards, like within ourselves as well. Yeah, so we've got to let those balls drop to the ground. Yeah, yeah. That's and I think we talked about this in the last episode, but it's that's a really good thing to model for your children that we we can't have it all together all the time and this beautiful psychologist that I saw for a little while, he said, you know, it's, it's unrelenting standards and that could be just in your everyday life. And definitely if you have that, um, what do you call it? Like a trait, like kind of like a personality trait that's Mm -hmm. probably come from childhood. You know, if if we carry that into our parenting journey as well. Um, And yeah, there's, there's some amazing strategies, which I know that you would talk to your clients about, I'm sure, of how to kind of 
yeah, how to kind of slowly chip away at changing those unrelenting standards. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if, I mean, one strategy is just to reduce your standards from a hundred percent expectation on yourself to 70%, mm. you know, just, just try moving them a little bit, lowering mm. them just a little bit. Yeah. He, he taught me, you know, um, like he said, Oh, whenever you feel a feeling to go and do something like mm-hmm. the dishes or ordering some food or like whatever the thing is, it's like, just go against that do, do something else, like do the opposite. And that's actually really helped me because a lot of the things that I realized that I was putting pressure on myself to do in the moment, it's like, I I actually didn't really need to do that right then. I could do that later. Um, and that, that was a really helpful tactic for me, just going against the unrelenting standards. Awesome. Yeah. Sounds really helpful. That was super helpful. Did you have anything else you wanted to say in part one? No, I think that pretty much, that wraps up a lot of what I want to say. I think mm. there is a lot more to say on that topic, but I do recommend go and um, download some of Dr. Sophie Brooks podcasts and listen yeah. to that because I think they're really valuable to just to get a sense about what the perfect mother myth is and how it impacts us in so many different areas of our lives. Yeah, I'll um, pop a, a story up with the link mm. to that. I'll have a look after this recording. And I might actually find the link to it and put it in the show notes as well so people can have a look at that podcast. So on to section two, mm-hmm. how, how we can work better as a team, as mm-hmm. parents. So first question that came through was, what are some ways that we can support our partners with this new baby change? Mm-hmm. Okay, so... What we have to know about having a new baby is that we prepare for it like it's this enormously lovely thing, and it really is. And sometimes we can be so caught up in how lovely it is that it's hard to prepare for it as if it's this intense, stressful life change or life experience. Mm. We don't really think about it in those terms. Yeah. But I think if we did think about it in those terms, that it would help us to prepare better. But actually put when some mechanisms in place to help us. Absolutely. And I think, uh, you know, it's actually up there. It's rated as one of the top stresses of what we can go through in life. So it's up there with moving house and divorce and it's, it's up there. <laughs> oh, it's, uh, there's, it's definitely the, the biggest thing I've ever been through in my yeah. life. I've been yeah. very fortunate to not experience much adversity or loss so mm-hmm. far in my life but it's huge and it, it fit to me it's felt like moving house like four times in a row <laughs> it's Normal. massive yeah. yeah and when we're moving house which is a great analogy we we prepare and we know that it's going to go more smoothly if we've prepared more for it so if we've got a bond cleaner if we've labeled all the boxes this goes in the kitchen things are going to go a lot more smoothly if we've prepared for it like it's this big stressful event and we're trying to reduce the stress and the load on on our family I'd never thought about it like that that's so true and like training for a marathon you know we do we put things in place so that we're we're as best prepared to tackle that event as we can yeah 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 Yeah. and so I think doing a lot of prep prep is so I love this quote it's from a book that I read in my childhood time spent in reconnaissance like planning for war is never wasted (laughs) so (laughs) so this time that you spend planning to handle this stressful situation is is not going to be wasted at all Mm. so whether that's putting meals in the freezer or whether that's cooking like getting lots of people um, around you to help cook meals for you when you first Mm. have the baby or whether that's hiring a doula or Um, researching breastfeeding and buying all the equipment that you need for that and not Mm. having to race around at the shops yeah definitely I remember in our um Hazel's two and a half now so we had her in the thick of COVID it was like three months into COVID when we had her and we were living we live sort of an hour from the city we're not we don't really have that many friends around and we had 
um, lots of friends that ordered ordered food to be delivered at the house. So we had yeah. like takeaway from our favorite um, restaurants a couple of times and they even delivered ice cream a couple of times, like a tub of ice cream and it was so nice. I think one time we got like, um, you know, a bottle of bubbles and like a little celebratory pack kind of thing for a Friday night because we were just yeah. home alone on a Friday. Like we were home yeah. alone every night because it was COVID. Yeah. But those things just... They, I really remember them um, and they're, they're those seemingly small things that mm-hmm. that firstly make you remember that people are there for you yeah. and sometimes we, you know, we do need to ask for help as mm-hmm. well. Like sometimes yeah. people aren't always going to just, you know, do those things on their own, but people yeah. love to be able to help and yeah. giving someone a small task that, you know, that will make them feel good because they're yeah. helping you. Yeah. Um, like, you know, my, I was very lucky. Mum would come down and um, clean our house <laughs> like once a Gorgeous. week or once a fortnight. Yeah. yeah. So helpful. It was so yeah. good. Um, yeah. But that she, she remembers that as like, it was like a little trip during COVID for her because she could come down and help and, and uh, it made her feel good for helping as Lovely. well. And I was happy because I had a clean house. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that really helps, doesn't it? Just to oh. declutter your mind a little bit. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that that's the practical side of things. But in terms of the relationship, it's also helpful to, I guess, have a bit of information about what might happen in a relationship after having a baby. Mm. So something like 67% of couples have relationship dissatisfaction after having a baby. Mm. So the wheels kind of come off mainly, mainly because of stress. Yeah. And so in terms of managing the stress within your partnership, I guess knowing how stress is going to affect your brain can really be really helpful. Mm. So stress it impacts your prefrontal cortex, which mm. is the part of the brain that helps you to regulate your feelings and moods and impulses. And it also influences your ability to think flexibly and come up with problem solving and to come up with goals. So if you're really stressed, you might find that you just can't, your thinking can get really foggy. You can struggle to regulate, you get really snappy, struggle to regulate your moods and not really come up with problem solving solutions or or think flexibly or adaptably to these, to the situation. And how to kind of move through that adversity that you're experiencing. Exactly. And and then you add in, you know, not getting any sleep. Yeah. That makes it even harder. It really does. So it can be a real perfect storm for a lot of couples. Mm. And it can be what I find comes out in couples is is a bit of comparison. I know we've talked a lot about comparison today, but a bit of I'm more tired than you or I've had a shower and you haven't or I haven't been to the gym and I need you have been three times. And I think think that's because we're kind of grieving that time that we used to have that just for ourselves. Yeah. I think it's stress, like just how do we navigate the yeah the grief and also the stress and the the the, the trickiness of having a baby and how like do having we... your own like your own needs met yeah like for us that's one of the biggest reasons yeah. why we want to wait another year or two to yeah. have another baby because we we just kind of are just getting back into a really good rhythm of having a bit more time filling our cups again Mm -hmm. getting back into you know for me like work and all those other things that Mm. you know we love as well as our kids Um, and yeah it's I think once kind of the I feel like the clouds just starting to clear you know like it's like the sun's coming out and we're just able to sort of get into a good pattern um, again yeah and that tells me that that first year or so or how old is Hazel exactly she's two now? and a half two now. and a half well, this first couple of years I think what you're what you're speaking to is just how demanding it is having a small child yes yeah. so much demand on both of you which is really quite stressful and, and and it's not like we say this all the time like it's actually it's it's not her it's the it's the loss of the other parts of your life that you have to adapt to um yeah. and as you said like time for your to spend with your partner, yeah. time to exercise regularly if that's something that makes you feel good, mm. um, just time to fit in your hobbies. And like 
you building the skills to actually plan them in and get mm-hmm. used to planning around a yeah. child. Yeah. Um, cause you, you miss, you miss out on a lot of time that you would have had before. Um, mm-hmm. and it doesn't mean you can't do all those things. It's just, you've got mm-hmm. to kind of get the experience under your belt of how to plan your weeks um, yeah. as best you can. Cause you yeah. know, like today, Hazel's homesick with my husband, <laughs> um, Yeah, yeah, but yeah, we, we always are going to get curveballs, but I think yeah. the longer you're kind of in it and, and also parenting together, you build mm-hmm. that experience as a couple to navigate yeah. what life's going to look like now. Yeah. 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 Which really you can start to do once you get out of that really stressful phase Yeah, because the planning's so much harder when you're stressed. Yeah. Um, so I think if you're hearing you and your partner going, Oh, com- doing that comparison thing. Oh, I'm more tired than you. You get up, you know, it's your turn. I've done it a thousand times. Um, you know, you, you can acknowledge that you're both stressed or, or you're both tired. It, it, there's room for both of you to be tired. There's room for both of you to struggle. There's room for and both acknowledge, of you to say, acknowledge the other person's feelings. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. And to have compassion for it, for each other when you can. And Ellie Taylor, she does lots of work with couples postpartum. Mm. Uh, she's amazing. She's written a book called Becoming Us, which I mm. definitely top of my list for couples oh, if they want to prepare. read it. Yeah. yeah. Um, and she says, she talks about focusing on connection, not on communication. Mm. Because of everything going on with your prefrontal cortex, communication is not likely to be the best. But if you can use the little time that you have to work on your, to just to feel that connection, Mm. then that can sort of ease a lot of the stress and the loneliness of those early months of parenthood. And I think the, the positive feelings that would come from having moments of connection make you want more moments of connection. Yeah. So you then prioritize that. Yeah. 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 I love oh. that. Yeah. It's connection, not communication. Don't yes. worry about the communication. You can always fix that when things are less stressful. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so good. Um, on to the next question. Did you have anything else you want to say about question one? Yeah, I'm good. I feel like we spend like 15 minutes yes. on every question. <laughs> um, how can this kind of sort of flows on from the first one? How can we overcome partner jealousy, especially around breastfeeding? So mm-hmm. I think this this. I interpreted this, I don't know if you interpreted it this way, but um, your partner feeling like they're maybe not having their emotional needs met as much as prior to you becoming parents. Yeah. Yeah. And I think breastfeeding is a bit of a minefield. There's sort of political, cultural, gender things, all gender conversations all mixed in with what's quite a difficult time-consuming experience that disrupts sleeps it's quite a tricky it's quite a tricky thing for couples to navigate and for women to navigate Mm. and I know I've just talked about don't bother with communication just focus on your connection (laughs) but I think if your partner is is experiencing some partner jealousy around breastfeeding you probably do want to make some space for a conversation and have compassion and to work out what's under just to talk about what might be underneath that jealousy and because I think it's it can be a bit of a an umbrella idea or an umbrella emotions and it can be Mm. a lot of potential things going on so it could be the fear of being shut out or maybe they feel like they can't find their place in in the family connection because the mother's breastfeeding maybe they feel like their help is being rejected or maybe there's breastfeeding difficulties and and they're frustrated and they want to fix it and maybe some sometimes formula can seem like a bit of a fix yeah Uh, or maybe men don't know are feeling like they don't know how they're going to bond with the baby so it could be a whole lot of things contributing Mm. to that feeling so you really would want to have a conversation around it to to work out what's what's underlying that do you know what I liken it to I not that I'm comparing partners to toddlers but I liken it to that you know when you have your second baby and mm-hmm. your first is trying to get involved and they they're wanting to be there and helping and mm-hmm. 
you, you know, often it's kind of the, oh no, don't do that. Oh, oh just be careful. And I think yeah. it's, there's some similarities there of well, how can we get our toddlers involved and feeling really positive and included yeah. and, um, and yeah, helping them feel really important in that family unit. And it's the same with partners. Um, they are, it is a, it's a partnership, you know, they are 50% of that, um, that parenting partnership. And mm. we really want to make sure that we're, and this, this is a big thing about that mm. preparing before you have um, a child talking mm. about, you know, how can they, um, how can they get involved and what things would be really helpful. And you don't always know that until you actually become a parent, but yeah, you know, getting involved with um, doing yeah. some of the laundry, um, you know, while, you're, if you're breastfeeding, maybe your partner could fold some laundry. And I know my husband used to like, we do cloth nappies. So he'd stuff the cloth nappies while I was feeding. Yeah. Uh, he'd, he picked up some more of the cooking. Um, he'd bathe Hazel of an evening and that was their time or he'd have a yeah. shower. Like we really, that was something I really prioritized. And I, yeah. I valued that so much because I did have that Um yeah. I, I knew well before from my, my job as a maternal and child health nurse yeah. and a midwife, I knew that that was something that um, partners struggled with. Yeah. Yeah. So all of those things, um, they're just like a few tips of what yeah. we did personally. And we did yeah. a bottle of an evening, which, you know, yeah. not everyone wants to do that. It's just another thing, um, whether it's express breast milk or if you're yeah. giving formula, get, I think finding those ways to, yeah build connection and really yeah. make them feel important because they yeah. are. And I think what you're talking about is, you know, find helping men to find ways to bond with their baby and spend time with their baby and build yeah. that connection outside of the breastfeeding relationship yeah. and putting, making that a really high priority. And I think to do that, we have to do some letting go sometimes as well. Like we yes. have to step back and let them build their own relationship with their child yeah, especially really, if we're trying to create this perfect, you know, 100%. for everything to be perfect. And, yeah. you know, sometimes, you know, if if, yeah. you, if your partner's doing the bath time and getting them changed for bed, like there might be clothes left around or like the bathroom will be a bit messy or all those yeah. things that might irk you. Yeah. But just, you know, just step back and like yeah. let them go for it because that's how they get their experience yeah. with being a parent Yes, without and you kind of sitting on their shoulder yeah. watching. <laughs> yeah. And one, one thing I say to myself is, you know, it's not just my child, it's my partner's child. And, you know, if I go out, you know, to, to do something at the shop so, and leave my baby or my child with my partner for a few hours, you know, I, I just, I say to myself, it's, it's their relationship that they've got to build with their parent. Like I can't control that. I can't, I can't influence that. That's not, no. that's not my space. I have to move out of that. And the more you, the more you allow them those moments to just mm -hmm. be together, the, mm -hmm. the more confident you feel and the more confident they get as well. Um, yeah. And I, yeah, it's, especially in those early days, it can be really hard because you're just figuring out kind of how to be a mum and like all of the things. Yeah. And yeah. we kind of want to protect and control sometimes, but yeah, yeah just getting them involved will yeah. really help that Maybe yeah. for us anyway. It just made it such a positive experience. Yeah. Oh, I'm hearing a theme, letting go, letting mm. go of expectations, letting go of perfectionism, letting go of yeah, you know, the, the space that I'm giving our partner space to look after our children. But I think, you know, there's a lot of letting go that we need to do. Yeah, definitely. I like that. That's a good theme. <laughs> so last question. Mm, yes. Is there any preparation parents can do is sort of a summary of many mm. of the things we've talked about but is there yeah. any preparation parents can do in pregnancy or in the newborn period to set up expectations um, this is in relation to with their partners and discuss yeah. what's important to each other so mm -hmm. how can we kind of pre-plan a little bit or discuss what what our expectations are of that parenting unit mm -hmm. yeah it is a bit of a summary and I guess there's a lot we've sort of shared already uh, mm. I guess what what we haven't talked about I guess is some of the really cr critical experiences that parents have that bring the most conflict 
Mm. So from what I see, I think what the things that bring the most conflict are things like how do we nav- navigate all the housework that comes with the child? Yeah. How, how do we bring balance to that? And the other topic that I see brings most conflict is how do we navigate free time? And I think there is a bit of a natural imbalance there that's happening because women, you know, we're so, we have our babies so much. So there's so much less time that we have to go to work or to shower or to go out or, you know, whatever it is that we want to do. And Mm. sometimes there's communication missing around around spare time or you know partners might be going out to the gym a lot or they might be going out drinking with friends late at night and that can cause a lot of pressure and a lot of Mm. imbalance in the home life so I guess having conversations around how you're going to share housework and how you're going to share free time in advance could be really would be very very valuable if you want to avoid a lot of conflict yeah. So like sharing, how are we going to share the load? Yeah. yeah. And yeah. how are we going to get space to do the things that fill our cups? Yeah. And if you yeah, could definitely. pre-plan that or organize that or set up expectations, I think that would, that would really set you up mm. well. Yeah, definitely. And it doesn't always, it might evolve and change over time and it might not mm. always be easy. But I think, you know, we've, we've kind of had ebbs and flows and there's been times where we feel like it all, it's going really well. And then other times Mm. where, you know, one of us is working a lot more and the other kind of picks up the slack a little bit. And I think knowing that that's normal and that it doesn't always need to be perfectly even, Mm -mm. um, but how can we best support each other and show compassion, as you said? Yeah, it's definitely Mm. never going to be perfectly even, but sometimes it can feel really imbalanced and unfair and Mm. and then there needs to be some rebalancing and some conversation around that and it might not look even then once things have shifted and changed yeah Um, definitely I think even just talking to other couples how did you do this like how do you guys navigate this yeah and that that can be really valuable or going in with some practical strategies like the one you mentioned where your partner did a bottle at night. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was such a good thing. And I know a lot of my clients choose to do that quite early. I think we did it from like four to six weeks. Yeah. Um, You know, as long as your breastfeeding is, you know, if you're breastfeeding that that's really well established Um, offering a bottle like once in a 24 hour period is, Mm. is really quite low risk in terms of creating any issues with, um, you know, uh, breastfeeding aversion and things like that. Um, mm. It's really like seeking that support around how can we really protect that breastfeeding, but also get our partners included. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's, I, I've just loved today's episode. It's so much of that's hit home and I know that it will with the Let's Sleep community and I'm sure with your um, with your community as well. And in episode three, which we'll, um, we'll get on to later in the month, we're talking all about baby shock, which that's what actually made me click follow on your Instagram profile initially. So I've saved that one um, for our third episode and I'm really excited for that one. Awesome. Um, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, me too. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Louisa, and have a great weekend. We're recording this on a Friday and it is three o'clock, so it's almost the weekend. (laughs) Cool. All right. Have a good weekend. Thanks so much. You too. Bye. Bye.